Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast by Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside my co-host, World B, Michael Freer. And this is episode number 42, the James Worthy episode, as the Hall of Famer wore number 42 for his entire 14-year NBA career. Of course, now he has his jersey retired inside the Lakers home arena at Crypto.com Center. World B, what, what are your thoughts on Mr. James Worthy, and how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine. Uh, minus one lousy uh, early <laughs> game performance by New York, uh, which we'll get into here. But oh, I was a big James Worthy fan. Big game James. Remember him as a superstar at North Carolina uh, in the 82 championship, that, that whole 81-82 season. Uh, people remember Michael Jordan hitting the shot, but it was James Worthy that was the superstar of that team, the All-American, and ended up being the number one draft pick that year and had a Hall of Fame career and really part of that Showtime era. He was a super, superstar and one of the all-time greats. There, You can't find a player, even in this day and age, who could run the floor at his size better than James Worthy. Well said there, and I knew you'd have something ready to go for uh, Mr. Worthy there, so well done. And uh, speaking of superstars and you can't find anywhere better than this. Let's talk about Bet Online, as that is the proud sponsor of the podcast and home to all sports bets. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. Bet Online is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options in your favorite casino and card games. You can play right from your own home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on all the action. Be sure to use our promo code Believe, that is B L E A V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts and where our show starts is with you, World B, giving us our opening tip. Well, thank you very much, Ross. Uh, the Monday was the selection of the NBA's all rookie teams, and it was announced. And the only unanimous selection was the number one overall pick from last summer and the rookie of the year, uh, Paolo Bencaro. And in all, eight of the 10 picks for the first and second team were lottery selections. But I wanted to point to one player who was thrown in, who was a throw-in as part of the now infamous Rudy Gobert <laughs> trade. Walker Kessler was the 22nd pick in last summer's draft, really picked by Memphis before a series of trades that landed him in uh, Utah. Uh, and all he ended up doing for the Jazz in year one was average almost 10 points a game, 9.2, and 8.4 rebounds per game, second only to Jalen Duran. Uh, in rebounds by rookies. He finished third in Rookie of the Year voting and was one of only three players to get first-place votes outside of Bancaro and Jalen Williams. Now, we've been told over the years how all too often NBA drafts are too deep in pro- aren't too deep in prospects. Outside of the lottery, sometimes you rarely get anybody who's deemed a uh, true, uh, even all-star, but really serious contributing uh, player. But Kessler was proof, once again, that if you know what you're doing in the front office, you can find value near the bottom of the draft. Just ask the Spurs yep. over the years. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to our draft coverage coming up later on this year on the 48 Minutes podcast. Should be a lot of fun to try to find the next Walker Kessler in this year's draft. So that should be a lot of fun. As for my opening tip, you know, of course, with head coach Mike Budenholzer having been let go in Milwaukee, the the Bucks head coaching position instantly becomes the hottest coaching job on the market. It's an opportunity to coach the team who finished with the best overall record in the NBA this season. And you also get to coach the Greek freak, who is one of the most likable and most dominant superstars we have ever seen. Lots of rumors are swirling on who might get lucky enough to be the next man in charge. And the coaches linked to the job so far have been Nick Nurse, Kenny Atkinson, and Frank Vogel. All good coaches, but of course, after reflecting on those options, I think Kenny Atkinson makes a ton of sense uh, as he'd provide a new voice and perspective, but can also mesh well with the principles this Bucks team is already used to and does well. Kenny Atkinson was an assistant coach for head coach Mike Budenhoser in Atlanta, where Darvin Ham and Taylor Jenkins were also assistants. Both Ham and Jenkins got their first head coaching opportunities after working with Coach Bud in Milwaukee, of all places. While Coach Atkinson did, did not also make his way to Milwaukee at the time, he did go on to coach the Brooklyn Nets as the head coach and uh, led a very competitive and gritty, gritty Brooklyn team as their head coach. And now he finds himself as the trusted assistant on Steve Kerr's staff in Golden State. I believe Atkinson currently brings a balanced diet of his own personal experiences and also has his uh, understanding, has a good understanding of what it takes to be a leader and uh, can do so in a, in a really easy, seamless way with this Bucks group uh, to, to help them grow, but also mold uh, this Bucks team and take them to the next level and in a different uh, perspective. The Bucks certainly aren't broke, so they don't need a full fix. And I think Kenny Atkinson makes a ton of sense for this job. And with that, Will B, you did kind of tease it at the beginning of the show. Let's talk about uh, that big game four we just witnessed uh, here tonight as the Knicks uh, we're in Miami for game four. They did lose the game 109-101 to the Miami Heat, and they now trail in the series 3-1. And uh going to lay it out to you here. What are your initial thoughts after uh, watching that disappointing loss? Well, if you're a Miami fan listening, you're not disappointed <laughs> at all. But from my That's end, true. I'm extremely disappointed. Um, it's two games at Miami, the uh, Miami Heat, shot 28% combined over those two games, and they won handily both games. This hasn't been much of a series, to be perfectly honest. Uh, the Knicks are going to, unless things don't tur- you know turn around, unless they turn around real quick, uh, they're going to really regret the game one defeat when they had a double-digit lead and had all the momentum and let it get away and lost that game. They came back in one game, two without Butler, but uh, Monday's game was much like uh, Saturday's game. There wasn't it wasn't competitive. I mean, the Knicks have had four. Uh, there have been four lead changes in 48, uh, 96 minutes of game at time in Miami, and they were all tonight. So I mean, the games just haven't been uh, very competitive. The Knicks have the Knicks outshot them from the field. They outshot them from the free throw line. And they were almost the same in three-point percentage. And they lose by eight, and it was about like eight the whole game. You never, as a Knicks fan, I never really felt like here it comes. Uh, yeah. They're getting pushed around. 
they're sloppy, and they deserve to be in a 3-1 hole. Uh, I'm still waiting. I mean, Jalen Brunson got a, a decent game, but he's just been troubled defensively. This whole team, from the Knicks' perspective, has been really troublesome. They have not – there's been nobody to stand up to uh, Jimmy Butler. They tried Josh Hart, and Jimmy Butler's having his way with uh, Josh Hart in this series. It's bordered on the embarrassing how much Butler has uh, done damage to him. And, you know, Miami is getting contributions from guys like Max Struss, who had four yeah. threes tonight. Um, the rest of the team only had nine. And – Kyle Lowry, who's been a you know back to playing the way he would did in Toronto when he was a All Star multiple years, he just health has been his biggest issue, and now he's healthy and it's you know working out for him. And Caleb Martin uh, has been a really uh, terrific player in this series. They are absolutely pushing the Knicks around, and the Knicks are not providing any resistance anywhere. Yeah, I'm quite concerned for the New York Knicks, of course, not just because they are down uh, 3-1 now, but just kind of looking at, you know, the review of the box score, having just watched that game, the Knicks were outscored in three of the four quarters. Uh, The Miami Heat are getting solid contributions off their bench. One guy in particular, we've mentioned him a couple times throughout our shows during the playoffs, Kyle Lowry, another big game off the bench in 25 minutes, 15 points on 4-6 shooting. Had five rebounds, four assists, zero turnovers. I mean, that's just incredible production off that bench. And then you mentioned Max Struess. He's been big all series long for this Miami Heat team. Uh, six of 13 from the field tonight, four of 10 from three. I mean, I'm starting to think that, of course, the Miami Heat signed the wrong sharpshooter. I mean, he, in my mind, he's way better than Duncan Robinson at this point. And uh, be very curious what Max Struess could get. Uh, on an open market because I think that guy has turned into being a very impactful uh, shooter off the ball. As for the Knicks, something that really stood out to me in this one, of course, is the fact that Emmanuel quickly was not good to go for this one. Want to ask you, or will be as our Knicks fan here, how much do you think that hurt the team tonight, not having him coming off that bench to provide a spark? Well, it didn't help. I mean, they got really beat up tonight. The bench only came up with 10 points, outscored, what, 25, 30, 37 to, to 10, I believe. Is that right? 25, 10, 30, yeah, 32, 10 32 to bench. 10. They got yeah. outscored 32 to 10 by the bench. So it, it absolutely uh, uh, hurt them. But you look at what he's done in this series, There has he hasn't exactly provided a spark. So while it has hurt them, it hurt him in this game or whatever. You could always use uh, more scoring or whatever off the bench. It's not as if uh, he's been a difference maker in this series. Uh, it forced him to play uh, Miles McBride. They went heavy on the starters tonight. Uh, Josh Hart played 22 minutes basically, but he really wasn't effective. He got he fouled out. He wasn't really uh, effective. He's not you know doing much in this series scoring wise. And he's certainly not doing this uh, defensive end, which we're, you know, we come to see this year. He's been terrific for them. So Isaiah Hartenstein, 15 minutes. And then after that, Toppin, they they only played Toppin less than six minutes in this game. And Miles McBride, my man from West Virginia land, got four minutes run. And that's been it. And so they went heavy on the starters. And, you know, I don't think they wore out. You know, they got worn down because they just didn't play well from start to finish. To be honest, 
Yeah. And I mean, there's no surprise there that uh, Tom Thibodeau went ahead and, you know, ran the starters out there for 40 minutes. That's kind of his go-to, especially without a, a six-minute-of-the-year candidate, like, quickly to turn yeah. to off that bench. But, you know, I think the concerning thing, and it goes back to what you mentioned about the Knicks defense or lack thereof, is the fact that this Knicks group actually had a pretty impressive offensive night as far as yeah. the efficiency out there. Jalen Brunson, 10 of 21. R.J. Barrett, another strong game, shooting the basketball, 9 of 16, 3 of 5 from deep. And Julius Randle, a guy that's been criticized here recently, obviously not playing the most productive basketball on the offensive end of the floor. Had another, yeah, I mean, he had a nice game tonight. Eight of 13 from the field, one of four from three, nine rebounds that led the team. Um, but as you mentioned, I mean, Randall, nine rebounds in the game. That was a, a team high for the Knicks. Not, no, no guy got in double figures rebounding. And, you know, outside of Jalen Brunson's 11 assists, there's not really anything popping off, uh, off, off the score, off the box score here for me to really get encouraged about uh, for Game Five back at Madison Square Garden. So, do you think it ends in Game Five, or do you think the Knicks will show some heart back home with the home crowd energy and at least force a Game Six? I mean, I want to, I want to think as a fan that it's going to end. Uh, you know, they're going to be able to push it to Miami for Game Six. I'd like to think that the Knicks will come out with much more energy for. Uh, for do or die situation they're facing, obviously they're facing elimination, but you know, the one thing you didn't mention Julius Randall's box score or line score, excuse me, was uh, uh, six turnovers. Yeah. Part of 17 turnovers as a team that they had, which is inexcusable. It led to 22 uh, Miami points. They got outscored uh, 22 to 15 in uh, points off turnovers. And Oh, by the way, they margin was eight. So there's there's basically your game right there. there. Uh, the biggest thing I I I think the Knicks can come back. They they have to shoot better. They have to you know you sounds like a cliche or whatever when they outshot the or the Heat, but you came up with 101 points in this day and age. That can't happen. 20 points in the fourth when Miami gave you every opportunity to get back in the game. They had no uh, answers and. Eight of uh, nine of twenty-eight from three-point range, thirty-two percent. You're not going to win in this league. They got outscored uh, by twelve points on three-pointers. We talked about with uh, you know earlier episodes. You can't you know with the Celtics. You can't win games if you're going to get outscored like that at the three-point line, uh, especially on a night when Miami didn't shoot well. So yeah. I think that for the Knicks, it's eliminate turnovers or reduce the turnovers, which wasn't a problem really during the regular season. They were not a huge turnover team, but they, they were in this game. And the Knicks' defensive rebounding was absolutely atrocious today. We talked about before we went on the air. In the two games at Madison Square Garden, Miami had 14 second-chance points combined in the two games. In the game on Saturday, they had 18 second-chance points, Miami did, and on Monday, 17, 35 second chance points as opposed to 14 in the two games in Miami and the two games in New York. You can't, if you can't rebound on a team <laughs> with a team like Miami that can't shoot, this is a team. We saw how well they shot in the Brooklyn series, and we saw, saw how well they shot in the beginning of this series. They're a team that was bottom five in three point percentage during the regular season. This is that, that's the Miami team. This team we're seeing now, I don't recognize it uh, for the most part. 
but they also didn't have Kyle Lowry, who's an excellent three-point shooter and was terrific tonight, uh, you know, terrific in the series too. So I think the Knicks, got, they got to improve on the rebounding on the defensive end, and they got to cut down the turnovers. And if they can get decent shooting from the outside, yeah, I think they win in uh, in game five. And it's a matter of can they stretch it to a game seven. I agree. I think they're going to win game five, have a bounce back at Madison Square. Uh, but I don't think they're going to make it back to New York. I think it's going to end in six in Miami. I, I just don't see the Heat in this series losing too straight to the Knicks with how how well they're playing. And by the way, I'm, I'm focusing on the Knicks or whatever because I'm a New York guy and I got the col- colors on. And so I just... I got to give the props to Miami because this is not, this is not the Miami team that we saw during the regular nope. season, but people got to remember they were, they lost the first playing game badly to the Hawks. And then were losing entering the fourth quarter of the second game to the Bulls before they came back and won that one. I mean, they were in serious trouble missing the playoffs entirely. They come back and win that game in the fourth quarter against Chicago. They absolutely dominated the, the Bucks. They came, yep. you know, in the, when it counted the most. They were, they were trailing a bunch of games. They came back big time and won that series. And we all thought when it, they were in this boat in uh, the Milwaukee series, well, there's no way. Milwaukee's going to win that fifth game, and they'll send it back to Miami. And it didn't happen. So it could totally end in New York for sure if New York doesn't pick it up. But Miami's on a really ridiculous run. And the best player in this post, I'm sorry, Devin Booker, we're going to talk <laughs> how great you are in, you know, Later on in this episode, the best player in these playoffs has been Jimmy Butler for me. The most valuable I totally, player. I agree. Definitely most valuable. I don't know if it's most impressive from a stat sheet. I mean, when we're looking at the numbers, because I have night some, tonight. I got some facts to back that up for Booker, but I think overall, most valuable Jimmy Butler is the guy for sure. Um, but as we get to our second quarter here, there is another game going on as we are taping. That is the Golden State Warriors at Los Angeles Lakers. Game four with the Lakers leading the series 2-1. So I'll ask you, World B, can the Warriors find another win on the road? I mean, this is a big one. They need, they really need this one. They can't go down 3-1 like your Knicks. Well, they, they're going to have to win one of them. I mean, it's as simple as that. <laughs> they don't win If they don't win uh, game four, they're going to have to win game six at some point if it gets to that point. Uh, it's it's been so hard to read them in this postseason because they played so well defensively at the end of uh, in the in Sacramento in the final games in Sacramento after I believe Game One was uh, bad, but they, you know they played so well defensively when it counted most for them, and in Game Five and Game Seven. So you you wonder is that the Warriors team we're going to see? It's all about defense on the road for them. We talked about at length during the regular season. How they the difference in offensive or defensive efficiency on the road at home is ridiculously uh, different, and yeah. it was you know you give up 127 points to the to the Lakers, who are a good deep offensive team, but they're not that good. They or they haven't been, uh, and they deserve to you know they deserve to be in the spot they're in. They, you know they had a good first quarter on Monday. Not to you know spoiler alert, you'll watch you'll <laughs> see the outcome later. But they look like they're coming uh, a little bit better prepared in uh, in defensively in this uh, game four. They got to win one of these games on the road if they want the series to uh, win the series, and it's it's uh, starts with their defense. 
Yeah, and, and kind of just going back to game three here when the Lakers did win 127-297 at home. Um, you know, I, I did credit Steve Kerr for trying something new, getting Jermichael Green out there for some minutes. That didn't go over too well uh, in game three. He only played 11 minutes in a starting role, had two points, one of five shooting, 0 of three from from deep, which is supposed to be what he kind of opens up for them and stretching Anthony Davis out to the perimeter a little bit more and not allowing him to be sucked in and waiting to, to, to block a shot at the rim. Um, I, I really think this series could be summed up by one thing. And I think that would be that one team absolutely crushed the trade deadline versus a team that didn't do much at all to anything really outside of getting Gary Payton Jr. back that they, I mean, they should have done that in the first place. They should have just signed him because now they overpaid and, and trading to get him back. But I think we got to give a lot of credit to the Lakers front office for what they've done. I mean, they've really put together a well-equipped team as far as their starters and bench reserves are concerned with guys like Rui Hachimura coming off the bench, Vanderbilt being an ultra-versatile defender. He's been causing problems out there, and he's a lot like P.J. Tucker. I don't think a lot of what Jared Vanderbilt does shows up in a box score, but, man, when he's out on the floor – I notice him. I mean, that guy is defending some of the tougher matchups. He, he's grabbing big rebounds. He's running the floor. He's doing all the little things that uh, makes the team successful and makes the jobs of Anthony Davis and LeBron James much easier. So um, for the Warriors, another concern, I mean, looking at, the, at, at this similarly to I do the Knicks, I mean, Steph Curry has been pretty good. I mean, I don't know what else you want from Steph Curry. So I think it comes down to trying to find an answer who can stop Anthony Davis and be a reliable big man for this Warriors team. Do, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean he's the matchup uh, nightmare for this for this Warriors team. They don't, you know, w- what are you going to do in terms of? I'm sure that's what you know the the plan was for, for Jamichael Green is yep. you need somebody to match up with it because you don't want to put Draymond on him because now you put you want to put Draymond on somebody else and you know protect that and. AD is, you know, for me, he's the X factor in this series. He's he's the guy we talked about before. He he can be the best player on the court in this series, and he's shown he can be, and he's demonstrated, you know, right from game one. But then game two, he was a disappearing act. Game three, he came back to life in, you know, 20, 25 points and 13 boards and four blocks. Those are dominating numbers. Those are superstar first team all the NBA numbers. So now what are we going to get in on Monday? That's you know everybody wants to see what that's going to what that's going to be like. And if he's on, the Warriors just don't have an answer for him defensively. They don't want to put Kevon Looney on him because Kevon Looney can't handle him defensively. Nope. Kevon Looney is great at rebounding, and we saw that in the Sacramento series with all the twenty rebound games. He's terrific when it comes to that. He's not a guy who's going to defend AD for forty eight minutes or thirty minutes, whatever you want, you know whatever he plays, he's just not going to be that guy. So you're exactly right. Who does the Golden State put on him, and how effective can he be? The Jermichael Green thing looked great in game two when he got the the, rare start because he hadn't – never mind coming off the bench. He hadn't seen any time. Right, exactly. So now you put him into that. It was a a gamble. It worked. And you're right. It didn't work in uh, game (laughs) three, which is why he only played 11 and a half minutes. Steve Kerr did away with that right away. What does it say? Jordan Poole, you know, 
I was going to mention this with the Knicks here. Somebody wake me up when R- Mitchell Robinson becomes an impact in the series, in the, <laughs> the, the Heat-Knicks series. Well, same can be said for Jordan Poole. I mean, wake yeah. me up when he becomes something resembling what we saw last season. Hasn't happened yet. Uh, Kevon Looney is, I don't want to say coming back to earth or whatever, because he, he had been part of a really dominating lineup when he got in the start during the regular season. They had the best starting lineup during the season. With those, when everybody was healthy, with Curry and Wiggins and Clay and you know uh, Draymond and Looney, they had the best starting lineup in terms of efficiency. So, you know, I don't want to you know, poo-poo him. You know, Divincenzo did not play well in Game Three. Uh, nobody played well, really. I mean, no I know Steph really Curry did. put up numbers, but it wasn't anything to write home about. Twenty-nine percent for that team on threes isn't going to get it done. And you know, we mentioned defensively, you're not going to. You're not going to do anything if you can't uh, can't stop the Lakers defensively. Totally agree. I think I think the Lakers will uh, you know go ahead and win this series, uh, whether it be six or seven. Uh, definitely don't think that uh, you know it, it's going to be uh, an easy task by any means. But I just think they match up so well. I've been saying it from the start of this series. The Lakers have all the tools to throw at the Warriors, and the Warriors just don't have much to, to match up. Uh, on the opposite end with them. By the way, it really helped in game three, if you watch that third game, that D'Angelo Russell got off to such a good start. Now, it could have been anybody else besides AD or, or LeBron, but having D'Angelo Russell, who had shooting troubles, get off to such a great start, and he finished five of eight from threes and finished at 21 points, was really that really helped their cause right away to get, to get off to such a good start. So that was a big part of uh, – their success was having somebody as good as D'Angelo Russell finally get it going from three-point range. And, and don't think there's not some sweet revenge in there for D'Angelo Russell, too. Absolutely. I know that uh, our colleague Bruce had said that even Steve Kerr uh, had once said that that was the fleecing when they went ahead and traded D'Angelo Russell to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Andrew Wiggins. So you got to believe D'Angelo Russell's out there looking to uh, have some revenge games against this Warriors group that – kind of gave up on him. I mean, I don't think it was a good fit to begin with. When they signed him, I thought it was a little odd since they did have Curry and Thompson in their prime back then. And I mean prime, I mean their prime prime. But um, you know he's got a chip on his shoulder for this series going up against the reigning champs, especially this group. So I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to figure out with all the teams he's been on in his career, second time around with the Lakers, Minnesota, <laughs> Brooklyn, Golden State, when when are we going to find a team where he fits? Is this? I mean, you know, hopefully for the Lakers' sake, this is it. But it was, yeah. you know, they already seen this act before. So when when does it get to be, you know, uh, his the right fit for uh, a player like D'Angelo Russell? It just seems to me that's like the mo. He you know he wasn't a good fit for us. I don't disagree <laughs> with what you're saying, but I just uh, I'm yeah. waiting to find out. He's you know he's a well traveled individual for such a short. Uh, career so far he's a nomad but I think when it comes to to D'Angelo Russell he's just one of those guys you got to accept him for who he is and don't try to make him what he's not I mean obviously everyone thought hey coming into the league as a top three pick I think it was the second pick overall you know he could be this superstar point guard that almost like a a John Morant not as athletic of course but someone that could really thread the needle put up some shots and you know, make good decisions. The good decision part is the thing that no one's ever kind of uh, been able to, I guess, reel back in with this game. But 
you got to accept him for who he is, and uh, he's going to have nights like what he had in game three where he plays spectacularly, and he's going to be big uh, for your group on, on why you win a basketball game. It's a lot easier to be acceptable by your team when you hit five of eight from three-point range. <laughs> yeah. Sure. yeah. Well, he'll probably now that we said this, he'll probably go uh, two of – 15 tonight from three. I don't know. He'll probably be jacking them up and, and have a bad game as the uh, 48 minutes curse lives on will be. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And with that, we've reached our halftime buzzer. So we're going to take a short break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back with the start of the third quarter. Let's discuss the other matchup headed out east. That is the Philadelphia 76ers and Boston Celtics. That series is tied up 2-2. And uh, World B, what do you think of that big James Harden three at the end of the fourth quarter there to kind of seal the deal versus the Boston Celtics in game four? I loved it. I, you know, it was uh, That was a tremendous game to watch. Um, you're seeing – I think what you're seeing is something I mentioned in previous episodes during the regular season and – uh, earlier in the first round, Joel M- Joel Embiid is the MVP of the league, but yep. that team goes as James Harden goes offensively. He, it's been that way since he showed up. They, you know, last season he was, you know, the Sixers were averaging uh, about 120 points for 100 possessions when he was with Philly. By the time he got there last year, it was the same during the regular season. It was about 119 points for 100 possessions when he during the regular season when he was on the court. So you're seeing that same thing. It hasn't been the same efficiency-wise in the playoffs, but that has a lot to do with the fact that we get good James Harden, we get bad James Harden in this series. Uh, and the good James Harden really looks like the Houston Harden from uh, from years past. He's, when he's doing it that way, I, I said on social media the other day, it may not be the brand of basketball that everybody likes, and I'm certainly in that mix. I'm not a – big James Harden fan with that style. But, boy, does it work with Philly. The, uh, the results speak to themselves in this series. When he's allowed to be James Harden, dominate the ball at the time of possession, set himself up and set up others that way instead of deferring to Joel Indeed and trying to see what he does, the Sixers are a much better team. Totally agree with you there, will be And, you know, going back to that uh, big-time three out of the corner from James Harden uh, in the closing seconds of that game four, went back and watched it like four or five times. I had to just kind of break it down and, and kind of see what went wrong, what could have happened if, 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 you know, they did not help out of the corner. And first things first, by no means would I ever recommend leaving the corner to help. And that's before we even consider the circumstances. Boston had a two-point lead, so a very head-scratching move to to go ahead and, and double Joel. I mean, yes, Tatum was being backed down, but he kept him beat in front of him. I mean, he was at least going to force a contested shot there. And, you know, let's also be clear, uh, you know, a two-point bucket doesn't kill you, and a three-pointer certainly does, and that's exactly what happened. And, oh, I even forgot to mention the fact that uh, they didn't just leave any player in the corner. They left James Harden, who was having a spectacular night before that uh, big shot. And, you know, Boston would have had the ball back for the final possession with the game tied should Embiid have hit that contested shot on Embiid, uh, on Jason Tatum. So as a, if I was a Celtic fan, I'd be very frustrated with how that play broke down. Obviously, it happens 
more times than it doesn't in those critical circumstances. But uh, just you can't leave the three-pointer when you're up two. I mean, if anything, they tie the game at worst, and you've got two closers in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to take that final shot for you. you got to trust your offense just as much as you kind of trust Tatum's defense to, to at least force a, a tougher shot than a, you know, a dunk, I guess you could say. But um, James Harden, I did want to throw this out to our listeners here. For his career, James Harden had been one of one for 10 on go-ahead three-pointers in this last in the last 30 seconds of playoff games. But in his last two opportunities coming this season in game one and then again in game two, he's a perfect two of two. So incredible uh, turn of the times here for James Harden going one of 10 of his in his career in big time threes in the closing seconds. Now two for two this series. Hopefully the Boston Celtics have learned their lesson. So the series now shifts back to Boston. Uh, are you expecting the Celtics win in game five? Uh, I, under normal circumstances, I would say yes. It, I mean, for me, this series is becoming uh, you know, fairly clear. By the way, James Harden, 47 minutes, for, uh, a little over 47, one turnover for all the yeah. time he handled Good the point. ball. That, that was huge. But they only had seven in the game, so that was a big, uh, big deal in that in that game. Uh, I would I would expect you know you expect the home team to hold up in the, in this one but I just what what more are the Celtics going to do? What are they going to do to stop James Harden? Is James Harden going to be allowed to do what he's been doing in games 1 and, and game 4? Because if he is then the Celtics really have a problem. Uh nobody defensively is is doing the job. Uh if they if the Sixers, you know, I can't imagine they're going to do it at this point. Go Joel Embiid's way and give him the ball and let the offense bog down, waiting for yeah. him to make a move. It's going to be trouble for them, and that just plays right into the Celtics' hand because they can get out, uh, get out in transition. They can get up and down the floor with the, with those guys there. Uh, I would expect. I mean, you got twenty one points from Jay, from Marcus Smart. You got. <laughs> You know, you have three guys with 21 points. You only had 115 in overtime, and you still lost. Uh, they're going to have to, you know, they shot 47% from the field and 39% from three. Everything points to a really good game from them, and it still didn't uh, didn't matter. I would expect their defense to tighten up a little bit and try and uh, make some changes that way. There's really not a whole lot for the Celtics to do for me uh, offensively to get him back in this thing. Uh, I think Al Horford uh, played a really good game and you saw why he's out there uh, more so than Robert Williams. We, you know, we questioned that at the beginning of the series, we did, yeah. but his ability to defend on the, on the perimeter has been, um, has been a big deal for the series. And so I expect him to uh, continue to be the guy there and, you know, the Celtics are so lucky that it's 2-2, considering the way Joel Embiid has played. He had 34 the other night and 13, but he got 12 at the free throw line. You know, and, and he, he didn't get any uh, – hit any three. I don't think he's hit – he might have hit one three this series. I don't remember him hitting a three. That doesn't mean he hasn't. It just doesn't come to mind. But he's not shooting particularly great. Um, it's volume that's getting his points. So if, if MD comes around – and you get James Harden playing the way he is. Now you're looking at the Sixers 
being the kind of team we saw during the regular season, which, you know, I've mentioned to death and the listeners are probably tired of hearing about it, but only three teams in the top 10 offensive and defensive efficiency, Cavaliers, Boston, and Philly. Yeah, great points there. I think Boston does ba- uh, bounce back back at home in game five. I think having that home crowd behind them, a couple days to kind of rest and uh, review some film here. I don't think you can stop James Harden, but I think you can certainly slow him down, make him a little less effective than he has been back at home in Phillies. So I would expect, you know, some good adjustments there by the Celtics defense. Obviously, I think the players themselves need to hold themselves accountable with their own on-court communication uh, in some of these scenarios. And and I think they can tighten that up and uh, should come away with a big win. But I could see this one certainly going the distance. And if it's a game seven, on the line in Boston, I think all bets are off. I think this is obviously uh, going to be a toss-up come down to the, la- the final couple of minutes. By the way, Jason Tatum has to start hitting better from the perimeter. He can't go yep. one for six. I know he hit a big three uh, at the end of the game there, and uh, but you can't be 0-5 before then. You, they need they, you know, you're the MVP candidate. You're the guy yeah. you know that was you know many people until second half of the season thought of as a serious, legitimate MVP candidate. You can't go one for six in games like that. That was a game they could have had, and a lot of Celtics fans think they should have had, but that was a game they needed to have on the road to, to go up three to one and take a commanding lead, and it did, you know, didn't work out for them. And I know he had 24 points, and I know uh, he shot almost 50% from the field, but you got to be – if you can hit the perimeter shot, you're a much uh, better threat and – we haven't seen that Jason Tatum takeover game yet. Like we've gotten twice from Harden. And so I expect from, from the Celtics standpoint, from what you're saying, yeah, I could totally see uh, an improvement from Jason Tatum's offensive game, which would only spark the Celtics and uh, especially being at home for game five. So, yeah, I could see – I that's one thing that I guess I said, well, I don't know what else the Celtics can do different. Well, that's one thing I, I, I would grant they, that they need to uh, – improve it's how Jason Tatum become a force offensively yeah and I think that's what what's holding him back from everyone giving him the respect as a clear-cut superstar in this league obviously he's right on the cusp of that some would say he's already there yeah I have my questions and I know a lot of you know Twitter debates and Instagram debates are who would you rather have Jason Tatum or Devin Booker well we're going to talk about Devin Booker right now as we head into the fourth quarter as we discuss the Suns Nuggets series, that's also squared up at 2-2. And, you know, Devin Booker's been amazing. But before we get into D-Book here, let's let's just get the big question swirling around the news here uh, out of the way. And World B, you know, the Joker, did he deserve to be suspended uh, for what occurred with uh, the Suns owner, Matt Ishbia? Or uh, are you glad he just got away with a fine? Yeah, I don't think he deserved to be suspended. I I... I think it was a whole lot about nothing. Um, I think I think the owner was at fault in this. I mean, you, you don't grab the ball, or you, yeah. if the ball ends up in your hands. Let it go, and he right. didn't. I know why Joker was trying to get the ball to get everything going. There was a Suns player on the deck there in the crowd, so yeah. I'm I'm Joel Embiid or, or uh, Joker. I'm trying to grab the ball and get, give it to the ref and get something going. And maybe the owner knew that too, being a basketball guy, and he was hanging yeah. on to it for a little bit. It became a whole lot about nothing. Now he shouldn't have react. He shouldn't have reacted the way he did in, in shoving 
shoving uh, him, the owner, and he got fined for it. It wasn't anything uh, vicious to me. It wasn't anything big deal. Um, I don't think there should have been any suspension. I think the, the, the punishment fit the crime in this case. Yeah, and I think there's no chance that uh, the Joker even knew who Matt Ishbia was, if we're being completely honest. I, I would highly doubt he knew that was the, the new Suns owner. I don't think a lot of those guys care. I don't, I, especially that he's so new. I don't think he would even recognize him. So um, you're probably right. Just, just a very rare circumstance there where we had an NBA owner and uh, a superstar kind of in the mix there. And uh, I'm with you. I think Matt Ishbia definitely knew what he was doing. I think in the heat of the moment, I think both the player and the owner could have handled the situation a little bit better. And I thought what Matt Ishbia said on Twitter was great. You know, he did. He came out publicly, said that, you know, he didn't think that uh, Jokic should be uh, suspended for what happened and, you know, just wants a really good series. And, and, and of course, that'd be a huge cop out if, if, if he did get suspended for that, just based on kind of the flop that took place. But uh, I, I think there's no, no question Matt Ishbia knew what he was doing being a former basketball player. I guess the only, if you could take it back, I guess the only thing he could have done better he still wanted to kind of delay the play is he should have lobbed the ball over to the referee because that would have been a, the appropriate move and he could have kept it out of uh, Jokic's hands. But uh, I, I will say that I'm not excusing uh, Joker, you know, shoving a fan or whatever, for sure. or no, because that, that was really, that wasn't necessary and he got fined for it and he should have gotten fined for it. But I honestly Absolutely. think that's where it should have ended. And it did. Yeah. So I, I think everything worked out the way it should have. Yep. All things considered. So let's, so let's talk about the basketball here. I mean, obviously the Suns uh, defended home court. And uh, as I had tried to optimistically tell Suns fans, you know, that Pat Riley quote, series doesn't start until the home team loses. They're defending their home court right now. And it all starts and ends with Devin Booker. He has been incredible and was at it once again in game four, scoring 36 points on 14 of 18 shooting. And uh, in that game, D-Book became the first player in NBA history to score at least 35 points on 75% shooting from the field in back-to-back playoff games. He is just in fuego. And for the playoffs, Devin Booker has now scored 331 points, which is the most by any player through nine playoff games since Michael Jordan did so in 1990. So uh, quite incredible play there from Devin Booker. What what has been your... uh, your take on deep book here throughout this, uh, this run that he's having. He's it's a really amazing thing. You can take a, you can take a point guard, I think, and tell him to be, Hey, I need you to play off the ball for a while. I need you to play the two guard position. And they probably can do it. Given that gives him more opportunity to shoot and do that to take a two guard like Devin Booker, and now you tell him for the last few games, we need you to be a playmaker, which he had, yeah. which he did during the regular season when Chris Paul got hurt. He was able to do that. To be able to do it and do it as effectively and not have it ruin your scoring ability is really a remarkable trait to have. I don't think people understand just how, how incredible that is, to be able to not just do it, but do it as well as he's done it. That's like telling uh, uh, R.J. Barrett, yeah. For the Knicks, <laughs> say you know what you're the two guard. I need you to play the point, and have him do it the way he's been doing it. It's you know it's just or it's like you know, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson, you're a two guard, 
I need Steph Curry's out. I need you to be the playmaker, and have expect Clay, you know, Clay to play that way. It, it, you couldn't do it. It's not. It's asking really asking most players too much. Devin Booker, geez, I can I can do that. I can get my points and get twelve assists and run the show. I know they had Cameron Payne or whatever, but it was really Devin Booker running the show. Let's it was let, let's be clear. Yeah. Um, we said when the series was two zero Denver. We said it was going to take, or I said, I think we agreed, it was going to take two really superstar efforts from KD and Booker to get them in this series, 35, 30, 40 plus or whatever, to get them in there, and they've done it, both of them. Mm -hmm. It's been really impressive. Booker has been the the story with his, uh, what, 85 points? Is it 83 points the last two games? I mean, that's that's a pretty incredible production but we taught them that's what they needed and they got it and they're moving on to two two yeah and you know meanwhile the joker in, in game four as well became the first non-guard ever to just record 50 points and 10 assists i mean i think a lot of people forgot what a game uh joker had in that in that game four matchup as well of course the suns won the game so booker should be getting the credit but i mean quite impressive that kd and devin booker outlasted uh, not just that Denver defense, but the performance that uh, Jokic uh, had in that game. And uh, I don't even think this is that bold of a statement, but I'm not sure we'll ever see another player outside of maybe the Joker do this again. I mean, 50 points, 10 assists from a big man in a playoff game like this. I mean, who else out there can maybe do that? Embiid, maybe, but he doesn't have the ball in his hands enough, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, I, I assume we're disqualifying uh, Giannis as a big yes. man, even though he's over, uh, you know, seven feet. Um, no, it's uh, indeed is the only one capable. I don't know if he could do it, like you said, with his uh, passing, you know, to put up the numbers like uh, Joker. No, it's an incredible thing to watch because every time you thought the Suns are going to pull away, Here's Joker making it. He only had yep. two threes, 53 points and only had two threes. You know, that's been his thing this year is he cut down big time on his three-point attempts, and he still put up really you know, near triple-double numbers, I mean, for his season. I think his assists were just off. But um, otherwise, he's you know, it, it was really – an I don't want to say unbelievable anymore because it's very believable when it becomes Joker – but to watch him in that game, because all the crowd was going crazy over Booker's scoring, over KD, and Joker just scoring basket after basket, getting in the post. Nobody can stop him. He's he's if Booker's unstoppable on the offensive end, so is Joker on the other end. Yeah. And so the big question now as the series shifts back to the mile high in the altitude where the Suns did have their problems, do you think Devin Booker and Kevin Durant will eventually run out of gas? Or do you think they can keep this up for a seven-game series versus Denver? We talked about before the series began, when we previewed this series, I told you and Bruce, I said, I think it is really, really important for Phoenix to try and get one of those first two games in Denver. Now, Phoenix wants to win all the games. I get that. But if you're going to win one, if you only need one, you want it to be those first two because when you get to game five and then maybe game seven, it's going to be a little bit more difficult with that altitude after all those minutes, after all, you know, logging all that time on the court to expect to come up. And now you played even more minutes with, with uh, Chris Paul being hurt. More is expected of you. So it's not impossible. Uh, I would never doubt the greatness of Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, uh, but it's, 
those were the games they really wanted. I think Denver, if they're going to win those two, one, you know, those two home games, has to play better defensively. That's been their problem all season long. They their defense has not been close to matching their offense. Uh, it has at times. I shouldn't say it has never been close. It has at times during the season, but it hasn't been consistent. And Mike Mike Malone desperately wants his team to step it up defensively. You can hear him in timeouts. You can hear him talk. They really, really need the defense to step up. You're not going to win this series if you let the sun shoot 57% from the field. No. It's just not going to happen. And, you know, it. it's just, you know, you can't, you can't do it. Uh, so I don't see until their defense steps up, I can see Phoenix taking one of these two games unless Denver's okay. defense uh, steps up. Yeah. I think it's going to step up in uh, Denver in game five. I think uh, the minutes and the load on Devin Booker and Kevin Durant is going to take its toll in this one. I think there's no chance the Nuggets lose three in a row to the Phoenix Suns, especially with the third game being back in Denver. Not to say that the Bucks can't win game or the Bucks, the Suns can't win game six. I mean, Chris Paul is rumored to potentially be back for that matchup. That is the, uh, the report going out that he could possibly return in game six could definitely obviously provide a spark to that group. If he is healthy enough to go. Um, but you know, this one's looking like it might go the distance. I don't see the Suns losing a game six at home. And then uh, game seven might be an uphill battle for Phoenix, but they'd at least be in a pretty good spot. I think after going down 0-2, if you asked any Suns fan, hey, would you take? Would you sign a paper right now that said this will go to game seven and it's all out on the line in one game, even if it's in Denver? They would have signed up for that, being down 0-2. To fight back like this has been tremendous, and a ton of that credit has to go to Devin Booker. Uh, stepping up in a big way, as you mentioned earlier. And I'll tell you that, what, go ahead. I'll tell you one more thing about it. The Nuggets have to do better than 7 to 22 from three point range. I guarantee you, Denver is not winning another game in this series if they make less than a third of their threes. They absolutely dominated inside, shot over 60% on twos. But if they're not going to shoot better from three point range, they're not winning another game in this series. It's as simple as that to me. Yep. All right, well, we'll have to keep an eye on that number. And with that, I've got some numbers to share here. As for our best bets presented by Bet Online, I've got a Suns Nuggets same game parlay that hit for me on Sunday. And uh, it has six legs and it's plus 105. And it's pretty simple it's Kevin Durant, 20 points, Devin Booker, 20 points, Jamal Murray, 20 points, Nikola Jokic, 18 points, Kevin Durant, five rebounds. And Bruce Brown, two rebounds. I think that's uh, as simple and safe as it gets. And I will definitely be running that one back for a game five because I think it's certainly obtainable. So best of luck to anyone that decides to tail that bet on tonight's best bets presented by Bet Online. And with that, let's get into our final thoughts. And uh, World B, I'll start with you. Well, thanks, Ross. Uh, yeah, we've talked about in this episode, we talked about in the, in the previous episodes during the playoffs how all the stars are, are you know, stepping up. We talked about James Harden coming up big. We talked about AD needing to come up big. We've just talked about Devin Booker and Kevin Durant being yeah. superstars. But you know and I know as the playoff light gets brighter, the little things and the uh, unknown players, the role players, really make a difference. And not only does it help in the series 
it helps in their pocketbook later on. We've seen yeah. many tales of players getting big contracts based off uh, successful runs in limited roles. And if you're looking at different, you look at all these series and you look, you look, uh, Gabe Vincent and Max Struss, the starting point guards, are basically outplaying the Knicks point guards, uh, or Knicks guards, excuse me. Uh, and Jalen Brunson, no matter what kind of numbers he's putting up, along with Quentin Grimes and Josh Hart, are uh, they're getting outplayed by by Max Struss and Gabe Vincent. And you talk about in the last series, nobody expected Kevon Looney to be 20 rebounds a night guy against the Sacramento Kings, one of the best teams in the league. But that's what you get in the postseason. You get players like this that step up and play, you know, are effective in a limited role. Kevin Love is not necessarily a role player anymore or a superstar anymore. His name is a superstar, but he has been a really effective player for the Heat in these two two rounds for them. Uh, so it's players like that. Kyle Lowry, who's no longer a superstar status but has that in his name, has become a big factor in the Miami series. So you get players like this. We saw the Golden State with Jamichael Green the other night in game two become a factor. So while you're watching these superstars, pay attention to the role players and what kind of impact they have and how much of a difference it can make for teams going on to the next round. Totally agree. And I think obviously, as you pointed out, I mean, those are how those role guys become legends and end up getting very good, uh, well-deserved contracts in return. I mean, PJ Tucker, that's how he's made his living, right? Playing for playoff teams and, and being one of those guys that you just stated. And now he's well-known amongst the league. Every time he comes up as a free agent, it's all contenders looking to sign that guy. So. By the way, he was a huge factor in game four, but we didn't mention, but yeah, PJ Tucker was a big factor in game four. Yep. And for my final thought, I wanted to revisit the Matt Ishbia and Nikola Jokic incident one last time, this time with a little different perspective. And this is one for Suns fans. So for as much as I didn't think a suspension was warranted, as a Suns fan growing up, I find it ironic and quite honestly, low-key depressing that Nikola Jokic wasn't suspended. This stems from the time Robert Ory hip-checked Steve Nash into the scorer's table during the 2007 NBA playoffs in which Amari Stoudemire and Boris Diaw both left the bench to come to the defense and aid of their MVP, which led to Amari and Diaw being suspended for a pivotal playoff game uh, in that round. The Suns went on to lose this series, and to this day, I believe the Suns got hosed. Not saying that they got hosed this time around, but watching the play live, I thought, you know what? Just maybe this might be their lucky break uh, in return for all these years later. So sorry, Suns fan, it, it didn't work out. But the moment that happened, in, in in the heart of the moment, I was like, maybe Joker gets expended and this is the karma the Suns have been looking for uh, in return all these years later. But wasn't the case. In true Suns fans fashion, you know, the bad luck just continues to roll on with, with some of these things. <laughs> and with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you on Friday to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.